Yeah, I, I'm Jackson. I have zero experience with carpentry. I studied at a school for historic preservation in Boston and learned about how things were built, you know, 250 years ago. There's a long way to go. I'm nowhere near the top. Not that I thought I was, but there's so much more to do out there. Welcome back to the Passion for Craft podcast. Uh, today we are talking about uh, some new urban developments, traditional neighborhood developments, I believe is what they're called, and um, we'll get into that uh, in just a sec. But uh, kind of the question that we're asking is, are these the way of the future, the way that we should be building, or uh, just a happy idea that really isn't attainable? Kind of what's the future of development? So... We'll kick this off. Our family vacations down at uh, in 38, kind of, if this is the peninsula of Florida, it's kind of right up in here past Destin, kind of not down the the leg of Florida. But um, So if you hold your hand out upside down for you audio listeners with your thumb sticking out, it's the web between your thumb and your fingers, that part of wow, Florida. look at that. Okay. Um, so it's called 30A. It's uh, it's right on the water. And in 1980, they started a development called Seaside. Um, it's a famous new urban development. And uh, there's a group of architects and designers and planners called New Urbanists. And New Urbanists have this philosophy that um, the city should be walkable and that great cities are walkable cities and great cities are not cities that have to be driven by cars. Um, Just to paint this seaside picture further, if you've seen the movie, uh, oh my gosh, I wanted to say Bruce Almighty. What's the Jim Carrey movie where he, The Truman Show. Yes. It's that movie. That was filmed in Seaside. Seaside. So that idyllic town. Yeah. Really just an awesome, like, I don't know. I look at that as the perfect place to live because that show kind of sets it up as like, we're going to give them this ideal place. So it, it, it starts with this book, uh, Geography of Nowhere, The Rise and Decline of America's Man-Made Landscapes. Okay, James Howard Kunstel wrote this book in 2000, no, 1993. Okay, um, And so basically in this book, he describes uh, driving up to a strip mall Okay, and wondering where you are. Right? Are you in San Diego? Are you in Denver? Are you in Dallas? Are you in you know New York? Because all the strip malls look the same, and it's just this low concrete block, you know, storefront, you know, thing with a sign over the top. Where are you? And that there used to be historically the, this this sense of place that if you were in New England, you know, the the the. Cape Cod houses. If you were in the South, you you know see different styles of architecture depending on where you are, and that areas and regions are known by their architecture. But but this geography of nowhere, you uh, don't know where you are because all the cities start to look the same, all the strip malls look to, start looks the same, and so all the McDonald's look the same. Um, Anders Duwani and his wife Elizabeth Platter Zyberberg uh, wrote a book called The Rise, uh, called Suburban Nation. The Rise of Sprawl. Boy, I'm having a tough time today. The Rise of Sprawl (laughs) and the Decline of the American Dream. What it describes is that, you know, in 1920, the way that the the neighborhoods were laid out is you had a neighborhood, and in that neighborhood, you had rich and, you know, middle class and, you know, lower class all living 
fairly close together in that the back house of the rich person's house might, you know, have a carriage shed and that, you know, some of the, their driver lives out in the carriage shed. It, and, and, you know, then you would have these, you might have a street where there's wealthy, but a few streets away, you would have, you know, a more middle class thing. They'd all share the same schools. They'd all share the same stores, uh, the, you know, what, whatever those things were. And so uh, it didn't require a car, okay, to drive to work or to go pick up the kids at school or to, to do things. And today you have the gated communities, the residential living you know, quarters, and these four kind of pods and the industrial complex, um, you know, where you go out to the, you know, to the warehouse district, um, the, the shopping centers with the malls and the big parking lots, the schools, and it requires a car to drive to all four of those things. And so, uh, my son Jackson lives in Denver, and we were out there to visit the baby. Congratulations. I am now yeah, a granddad. Yep. Um, and my gosh, to drive around the city of Denver, it is the worst thing you've ever seen. I mean, literally, every drive was 25 to 30 minutes. Exactly. Wow. The airport's an hour away. Yeah. It, it's just like, it's so far out. It's, and it's awful. just It's just highway to get there, and it's just, uh, you know, six lanes of highways just... Yeah. It, it's 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 terrible yeah so the problem is sorry let me just finish this spiel you're good the the uh the problem is is that the modern city requires a car and it it changes the way we we live so much so that even uh um you know the streets through urban uh neighborhood developments historically you drive on in an old old uh neighborhood the streets are let's say you know 25 feet wide Okay, and, and the engineers got together and engineers started talking about, you know, what, what the ideal speed is and the size of the cars. And all of a sudden, new developments have streets that are 35 feet wide. And the reason they do that is because engineers got in and they go, well, the speed of the car. And what they didn't realize was that in the reason people drive slower through older neighborhoods is because streets are smaller. You don't you can't speed because it's kind of dangerous and you're afraid someone's going to jump out. And you do drive fast through new neighborhoods because the streets are so wide. It's just like it might as well be a highway. In any case, it, our built environment has changed. And our built environment uh, is no longer the same. So this new traditional neighborhood development, TNDs, new urbanists are basically going back to front porches. So people are front porch, sidewalks. You'll notice, you know, after 1950 or 60, there are no sidewalks in neighborhoods. Um, and, you know, uh, smaller streets and local communities so that, you know, the schools and everything else are, are close by. Uh, yeah, there's the big mix master. Uh, Austin's doing a great job showing stuff like that. But if we go back to Seaside, we go back to that little development where, you know, basically the way they have it set up is that, you know, the post office is close by, the stores are close by, the church is close by, schools are in that neighborhood, everything's walked. They're all branching off of the town square. Yeah. Or like the town center. It's like an actual community. It's like an actual <laughs> it's community. It's like... What I see in in America, I mean, I've been to Denver, live here in DFW. What I I don't know what what caused the problem, but to me it seems like the population just exploded, and there was like a a need for developers to just push out into the rural areas, and they were thinking more about their money than the living conditions. And here we are. That's that's kind of what I've 
noticed? Well, I mean, and, and it happens that way, right? If you have, you know, let's just say you have this, this city that's a circle on this table and it's growing, right? Where does it go, right? In New York, they went up. And so that's why you see all those high rises, but they didn't have cars when New York was being really developed. And so they had a mass transit system that everybody got around. But the circle that was New York didn't really expand and ring out like Denver DFW does. And so, um, you know, it's cheaper outside that circle. And so this developer buys land and, you know, he's going to buy, there's going to, there's a formula, there's a mathematical formula that I'm going to buy land this far out and how far are people going to come? And what some of these cities have figured out is that it costs them a lot of money to, um, you know, at first cities were like, this is great. Sprawl's coming. You know, there's, it's all kinds of growth. We're going to run our water out to there. We're going to run our sewer out to there. We're going to run our gas out there, costing them tons of money. And it will be 20 years before they'll have the tax basis in that area that'll actually pay for that. So it bankrupts cities. And so it's a, it's a problem. Well, it's funny is um, you guys know where I live. I don't really want to say on a public forum, but um, I was looking at a, a, there's a book of my neighborhood, like a historic book. And it has like documentation from when they were developing that community. And it says, come on out to... Oh, you know, just, just, and that, that was probably one of the first communities to push out from the city, you know, no way. but it's talking about it. Like it's far away. A country road, yeah. a country or drive. And if you look at the map of downtown Fort Worth in those days, it's like, uh, it's empty. It's crazy right. to mm-hmm. see. It. It's like, there's a courthouse post office, little general stores. Yeah. And then if you look where I live, it's, it is kind of far looking, but, yeah. but now it's, I mean, it's close by. Yeah. And then now, like, people are like, oh, okay, I'll just live in, you know, Saginaw. It's it's not too far from the city. Then it's like, well, I'll just live now in um, in Blue Mountain, or I'll just live, like, where I used to live in Newark. Right. Like, in a car, it takes, like, 30 minutes to get here, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's just you're, you're way out there, and there's yeah. no sense of community. Right. Like, and when you drive, you mentioned the, um, the roads, like, how they're, like, all the older communities that seem like they're on like a grid system, right? You have like the first street, second right. street. Yeah. Well, out there, my to get to my house, which was at the end of a cul-de-sac near a creek, it was literally like a spider web. Yeah. Like yeah. it was so and they do not that. thought out. It, well, it is thought out. The reason why they do that a lot of times is because we've started building houses that are all cookie cutter and they're that are all the same. To provide visual interest, they curve the roads and circle the roads so that it it feels like you're meandering down a country lane as opposed to and it's really just annoying yeah you know, right it's really just you know <laughs> yeah. hard to get there but the streetscape if you didn't look like would look like you know a factory it was just yeah. it's oh, just yeah. the same house it's just, they're the same there's house the same right house. after another so they create these curves and stuff to, cre- to create visual interest it's more deception than lack of planning yeah okay uh, well, they planned but they planned to hide their work and here's and here <laughs> here's where you know it, it it all reason why we're talking about this in the passion for grass podcast is because it affects there is a cultural um you know attitude that we take towards housing and we take towards our homes that is detrimental. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, another book called The Durability and Construction Tradition and Sustainability in 21st Century Architecture. Basically, how do we get back to building with natural materials so that they so that things last longer? Um, 
The challenge we face now is how to continue to build in natural, solid, durable materials when the building industry is geared towards disposability and paradoxically, the use of industrially produced green materials, right? And so if you look at the, I was just at the International Building Show, and if you look at the- uh, IBS. Um, yes, unfortunately named IBS. Um, the, uh, if you look at those products <laughs> out there, <laughs> they, they were asking, you know, I'm on the build show. They're like, go around and tell us products. You really, you know, we'll get a video. And we'll, we're going to do these best of IBS things. And I can't go. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I, can't that I can't do those videos because everything is about cheaper and faster. I shouldn't say that. Not everything is about it. I feel like 90% of the stuff out there is about snap in place, cheap and fast, you know, lack of craft. And so I literally, I don't do those videos. You know, they've asked me two years now, hey, go do a video. Well, it's the same thing. Best of IBS. Nope. So you weren't impressed by what you saw? No, right it's terrible. Wow. And so, you know, that whole thing, the paradox of these industrially produced, you know, green materials that are terrible. Azex, perfect example. Plastic, okay? Wait, explain what is Azex? PVC. Yeah, okay. it's PVC. And basically, there's a lot of concrete PVC, you know, plastic materials that are being produced as green, okay, that, that just aren't. It's just they're... They're the carbon footprint, and they can't be disposed. They can't be, you know, um, recycled, right? And so um, we get into the habit of thinking, oh, well, you know, I, I've said it before. I don't want to keep banging the drum, but it, but it's just, you know, we forget how to pitch the sill of a window, and our sills rot out, and we go, oh, the wood's terrible. No, you just forgot how to pitch the sill of a window so that it showed that water doesn't sit on a flat surface. And so we, we make these come up with these products like the concrete and the plastic because they help us overcome our bad craftsmanship. And then we have these products out there that, you know, suck. Well, I got ripped when I redid that Palladian window in the Sapili. People were like, why don't you use PVC? And... The, I mean, the reason is when you look at the plastic of PVC, what it takes to make it, I did some research on it. Like they have to sit here and like burn these chemicals and yeah. like release all this stuff into the atmosphere. Uh -huh. So like he said, paradoxically, it's green. It's supposed to last longer. Right. Um, you, you wouldn't agree that it's going to last longer, would you? Well, we just don't know yet. I mean, it's it, right? too early. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know maybe, but but you know it's just like your window story with the with the you know plastic windows or the vinyl windows or whatever that were literally falling apart. Oh yeah. You know yeah. the the UV that's going to attack that uh, um, PVC. The PVC. Whatever, yeah. You know who knows what's going to happen in ten years to that stuff. And we, so yeah, we only know that it's good, like as plumbing because mm -hmm. it's not hit getting hit by the sun right and so there, there are things like that we're we're doing um thistle hill which is a local cattle bearings house very famous historic house in fort worth and i remember 10 years ago well, it's probably 15 years ago no it was actually 20 years ago how old are you um <laughs> 200 and, <laughs> um and so this this Awesome cattle baron's house. Thank you, Austin. Uh, with these, with this green tile roof is awesome. The carriage house, okay, does not have that beautiful uh, green roof on it. Basically, in 1995, um, there was a hailstorm that came through Fort Worth. Just catastrophic. I mean, just the, we were at. Uh, I Hospital. think you, mom, was, mom was pregnant with you. Yeah. I think so. It must have been 27 years ago. <laughs> 
I can't count. Anyway, there's, here's the carriage house right there. See that roof on there? Uh-huh. I remember when, they, when, when the guy who was helping me manage in Thistle Hill was saying, oh, we really saved them a ton of money. We're going with the concrete tile roof instead of a, a clay tile roof, and it's going to look so much better. It's going to last longer. And, well, basically, that's supposed to be green, okay? It's now gray. And, and it is, it is, we're about to replace it because, you know, it's chipping and falling apart and it's not historic. So who did that? Some of the, there was a developer who was on the board at the time before historic Fort Worth had Get him. That, that unfortunately. Name he, the name. No, yeah, RMP. He's, he's actually died now. Oh. And so because of this, he died. <laughs> now, uh, he couldn't live with himself anymore. No, he, he unfortunately died. And he was a good friend. And I understood why he was doing it, try to save money. But here's an example of him trying to save money, not having the historical integrity, not having the look, not having the charm, and it won't last as long. And so there's newfangled. you are new, 27 years later. Yeah, about to replace, about to replace it, replace it because it. it's because it's done. Versus the other roof on the other house has been there. Hundred original, <laughs> yeah, 115 years and it's still good, right? So still looks we awesome. make these decisions that are like, oh, this is so much better, and, and it's not. And so, well, and the unfortunate thing is, like, we make these decisions where like it's so much better, and the the truth is, we just don't know, right? We, it's it's more of a this could be so much but, better. But culture, you know what I mean? Yeah, and culturally, we are making decisions about our houses about cost, right? Mm-hmm. And about quick and fi- quick fix. Yeah, yeah, that's an easy solution. And it's like, that's, but that's not the best solution. That's mm-hmm. not the best long-term solution. Well, even just thinking of the PVC on a windowsill or like PVC on any exterior, uh, wood can handle and yes, wood still bends when it's hit by UV over, over time. Um, just as water comes out of it and it warps and everything like that. But once it's out of it, the wood stays exactly the same. It stays rigid well, and a PVC pipe would not, right? Like that's... Well, we don't we don't know. But um, I mean, I've seen plenty of PVC pipes that have sat out in the sun for a long time and then start to get that like weird bend where they start to U-shape up on either side as, you know... Mm-hmm, like a, almost like a cupping effect. Yeah, exactly. Wood. Yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah, I think it's the right wood the right installation process and then the right sealer like priming mm-hmm. priming cuts like that's one of the things anytime you make a cut on wood you got to hit it with primer mm-hmm. so it doesn't absorb moisture right so yeah i i think it's just funny the comment in there is it is a paradox if you're like oh you're going green with all these little click in place items but you don't realize the factory that like I just imagine like a factory with smoke going up. <laughs> it's like making these products. Well, and, and to that point, this is an article by Alreza Zakakari. You picked an easy name to say. Yeah, that's <laughs> Durable Architecture in the Age of Disposable Buildings. It's a fascinating article. So this book, Durability and Construction, is a bunch of articles written by these uh, new urbanists and, and designers and planners. The classical vernacular tradition, okay. Uh, dislodges architecture from the feudal cycle of invention and reinvention that characterizes the production of industrial objects. And again, grounds architecture and culture. Today, our craft-based productions, such as making of watches, silverware, and furniture, rely on the evolution of technology, not the redefinition of aesthetic values. The commoditization of the built form is created and architecture has become a slave to the manufacturing process. That last line is what I saw at the International Building Show, is those guys, all those manufacturers 
chasing after the latest technology that's going to create the greatest new product that's going to be the you know best product of the IBS they have those best product of IBS you know uh, and and so they're all chasing after well I want to be best product and we create things and, and it's like well why did, didn't you just use stone right mm -hmm. why are you going through this chemical process to add these glues and sawdust and this all this all this stuff to make stone. You're reinventing got, yeah, the wheel. You're reinventing stone, right? Yeah. What are we doing? Well, it's a race to yeah. the bottom. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so you think about that with tile, you think about that with, with flooring and these snap in place things and you're just like, hmm, I think we're heading in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Which is the point for me in this conversation. Right. So so just shifting back to the the overall just to connect these two pieces of the puzzle here is um, you know, our hope with T and D is uh, that the purpose of these developments is that they would elevate uh, the community itself where everyone in the community would be proud of the place that they're living in. Everyone in the community would be encouraged by the things that they see around them and ideally inspired by those things and uh, would want to preserve them longer, you know, pick up their trash, litter less, be a part of their community more, uh, those sort of things. And so we cheapen that and we, we lose that connection, I guess, with the things that we build when we cheapen the things that we build um, by using some of these green material, well, green, air quotes, material um, that are maybe good for the time being, but have a massive carbon footprint or end up not, we have to make 17 of them in order to replace one piece of wood or one piece of stone. Well, whenever we had um, Dan Parrish on, he, he briefly mentioned like one of the things he's envisioned is creating like a community that's that's a bunch of traditional architectural details, mm -hmm. but built in new houses. Yeah, and I think when I think of traditional neighborhood development, is that yeah. what, I mean that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. I think the pushback, and I did see some of the comments on that, is that well, that's a dream because nobody can afford it. Mm -hmm. um, you're more in the business side of it than me. I mean, well, I was at a consulting job in, in, in outside of Virginia uh, or outside of D.C. in Fredericksburg. There's a uh, these guys. The, the, Dewani, who wrote this book, has a, an architecture firm called DPZ. And uh, Dewani, Potter Zyberberg. Um, and it's him and his wife. And, and they are, uh, you know, have this firm. One of the you know, developments they did was a place called Lily Smith. And the guy I was meeting with actually had ownership of the Lily Smith is right before the recession. And they were going to, they hired DPZ. DPZ had done this new traditional development that was going to be low cost. And a developer came in from California and said, you know, we're the long haul. We're just like you. We're going to, you know, we'd like to buy the, buy the, the thing, partner up with you. Let's go, let's go do this. And so they had, you know, eight, 10 builders that they were going to, you know, custom local builders that were going to build all the houses there. And that's typically how they do that. And um, they were, uh, you know, the big boys, D.R. Hortons and Pulte's and all those big production builders weren't invited to that thing because they would cheap it out. Mm -hmm. And they take over the development in like 2007. And of course, the recession happens in 2008. They bail on all their high ideals about how they're going to do this for, you know, such a, you know, the quality and, and everything, everything fell out and they 
let go of the the local builders. They brought in the Dr. Hortons and Pulteys because they could make more money or be more cost effective. And you can drive through that neighborhood and see the first, you know, 60 houses, 80 houses that were built, and then drive through the second part where the the last, you know, 600 houses were built. And it it is stark, okay, the difference between, you know, it's noticeable. It's noticeable. And it and it's mm. it is they 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 cheaped out. I, I I bring that up because there is a you know challenge with building quality, and there is a money you know aspect to. It. There is a cost aspect to it that, um, that, that I guess I'm I guess I'm listening to some of the guys out there might be listening to this going, yeah, but yeah, and, and there is truth to the point that it does cost money to do something better. Hold on, explain that. You're saying there are guys out there who are, who are saying, yeah, but it's going to cost, like yes. Richard was saying, and and you're right. You're like that's right. Yes, I'm saying there's truth to that. When Dan was saying that, right, it it, it takes very careful planning to make sure that original design is executed properly, mm-hmm. okay? And it comes down to little details of how you're doing the shutters, how you're doing the overhang, how you're doing the door trim, window trim, siding. What do those pieces look like? It just takes careful planning, right? It just, it, it, it a is- a great point here. Well, <laughs> it, it's, it's hard. I guess it's hard because yeah. it's so like, to do quality does cost more, yeah. okay? It does. Because you're competing with that vinyl window. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what people are like, well, that's their comparison. You know, I could buy, I right. mean, why are you so much? Look at this is that. Yeah. Well, you don't see the difference, you know? So I, I figure, I feel like someone who would be going to a traditional neighborhood development would, would almost be expecting to pay more. Cause they're like, I, I care and I appreciate well, finer the, craftsmanship. At the end of the day, the quality of the product's more, right? Like yeah. if you're, if you're a developer, if you're trying to create a neighborhood and you're <clears throat> having to rely on tactics like spider webbing through a neighborhood in order that people don't see that it's type number one, two, three, four, and then type one, two, three, four around the next corner, like uh, type one being type one of the house, type two being, you know, the, the second developer house. is like the, the, the guy yeah. in the Truman show trying to hide it. <laughs> right. <from. laughs> exactly. If you don't want, if you're a developer who's trying to cheap out and doesn't want the people living in the development to see what you're hiding, then yeah, you can't, you're going to need to do things like that to cheap out. But if you're a developer who cares about the development, who wants it to be something that is special, that is unique, you're going to need to hire out stuff but, like but here, that. But here's, I, I guess I'm thinking through this comment. You know, the thing that made uh, that one development, you know, noticeably different was the quality of materials, okay? That they did take a, you know, wood uh, and vinyl clad or wood and, and metal clad window in the expensive side to straight vinyl and PVC and, and cheap and, and aluminum in the, in the second side. It was, it was like, you know five ways they lowered the cost right they lowered the quality of the siding they lowered the quality of the windows they lowered the quality of the doors and they cheaped out the, right. qu- the quality of the trim inside and so you know but, is that worth it but your whole thesis is no it's not worth it because in five years they're going to be well, replacing it, the windows the siding it, the it's vinyl, partly but. a longevity it's partly a beauty thing yeah right i mean it, it's partly well, it's a know. twofold problem then i mean and so if people aren't willing to pay for it, then what do you do? You know, what are you supposed to, what, what's the solution, right? Here I am arguing for the other side here, but the, you know, what is the solution for the guy who, you know, wants something quality built? Is it possible today? I you think know? it's possible today. 
Wait, what are you saying? It's not possible. It's, he's gonna have to pay for it though. Yeah. Like it's it's gonna you can't compare it to but the you, Dr. You, Horton. I think. But y'all are acting like th- what they're paying for isn't worth it. Because I, I think oh, there's no, a difference. I think it's well, worth no, it. I, I know we all think that, but uh, you're making the argument as if whatever they're paying for, like the more that they're yeah, paying I'm for, arguing, isn't I, worth I'm it. I'm arguing that the system that we've got set up today for home building mm-hmm. means that you can't get something of good quality until you won't get it in a starter home. You probably won't get it in a you know second tier. You might start getting into the third tier. And, you know, if, if, if there are tiers, but, you know, say there's six tiers, first three tiers, you're, you can't get it because it's just, you know, the, the, the price point, the way the system's set up, the way the, the banking system, the mortgage system, the way you qualify for a loan, the way, all of those things means that, that you can't really play the formula of, of wanting something really quality built in the starter market. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. And, and, I, and, and I'm sitting there going, you know, I think that gets back to the, you know, the pushback we get from this show where we're saying, no, no, it should be quality. It should be quality. People, yeah, well, quality costs. Yes, it does. And so maybe maybe we're saying, you know, maybe I'm fighting against, and I know I am, the, you know, guy who gets a, you know, a tier four, five or six house. And I feel like they're getting the quality of that one, two or three. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's a... You know, there's builders out there who learn to build at that one, two, and three level, the starter level, the production level, that move into the custom market that may go, I can make a ton of money here. And so because they're using those cheap products from the one, two, and three level and taking them up into the four, five, and six level, and people at that four, five, and six level don't know what that means, don't know the difference. Mm -hmm. And so they get a cheap door and they're like, well, I guess this is what you get. That's what I'm saying. I've just figured it out. But I mean, one of the things that that's we, a big deal. Well, I think your perspective is different, um, just because I feel like you're you're in a, like a little bit of a different world than the typical person as far as the type of homes you guys build, and I feel like a lot of our viewers too, like even myself. You know, I started in an LGI house, and I don't think you can expect LGI, Dr. Horton, or Ann Terez, these like production builders to to do craftsmanship, right? Because because of that, it cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wouldn't be able to get the mortgage. I wouldn't be able to get the mortgage because it'd be too much. Right. So therefore, like, I have to go to those cheaper houses. Yeah. But but there are historic parts of towns. Like, I don't know. I feel like you still can find a home that, uh, I mean, maybe if, you're, if your qualifications for what you're looking for are location and everything else like that, like, you have to be you know, 15 minutes, let's say away from work. And that puts a big constraint on your buying options. But if you're more flexible with that and you're, you're caring about the quality of the home you're going to live in, I feel like you can get a starter home that is built well and, or at least has some aspects of, uh, you can't get a starter home that's built well. You can, you can buy a used house. You can buy an old house, but that wouldn't be traditional new development yeah. either. But, Oh, how much would you say one of those Alley's beach houses cost? Just throwing it out. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, no, they're, they're millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's unattainable for most people. For sure. You know? Well, I guess I'm not talking about traditional new development. I guess what, that's the whole point of this episode. But <laughs> um, I so, know what you're saying, though. But you know you what can, I'm saying? You like, can go well, to an older that, house. But that goes back, yeah, to my comment that I wouldn't buy a new house. I would buy a historic house because I know I'm getting a lot more for my money. So, sorry, I... Just I think that's the, what you're saying. As the newbie yeah. here, 
I'm getting a little confused, uh, just a little bit. So do, I want to I want to qualify some of the stuff you said because what y'all are both saying is like, uh, I mean, episode one, I was pushing back like, yeah, you can't really get a good house uh, at all, and you're like, you can, you can get a historic starter home, and now we're here, episode, uh, you know, fifteen, and y'all are like, yeah, you can't pay for it, you can't afford it, and I'm like. What have we been saying this whole time? <laughs> What's going on right now? Well, that's why so, I was freaking out because I think I figured it out. I think I, uh, you know, we get pushback from people. Not, you know, I think there's people who understand what we're saying, but we get pushback from someone who's just listening and they're saying, you know, that costs too much. You're, you're talking about finely crafted things and most people can't afford it. That's that's the comment I hear in my, my chat. Most people can't afford it. And so... Um, and, and, and I'm and it I used to push back. Right. I'd say, yeah, you know, yeah, you got to have quality. And I still think that I'm not changing my mind on that. But I'm also, you know, as I've reflected and think about this over the, the weeks and months since we've done this, I do hear those people say, yeah, you can't afford it. And it makes me go, why are they saying that? What 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 can't you afford? And I think I'm, my solution, what I'm saying is, is that from the outside looking in um or or the way our modeling is set up the way our our culture our america is set up good or bad whatever it's not i'm not not saying anything i'm saying though that the mortgage structure the the price points and, and things don't allow for a real quality house to be built until you get into the if there's six but tiers that's, four that's five built. and six that's built you're not saying because you can go buy a historic home that, and be, that you are be not in, built. And be in that four, five, six category. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying like you could buy a starter home that is a historic home. That like your first home ever, you could go buy a historic home. So your somewhere. starter home is an historic home. Yes. yes correct. And that is built well, that has good yes. things. So I, I've been looking into these traditional neighborhood developments and uh, it's a really cool concept to me because whenever we go to Rosemary Beach and we get our bikes, we park our car and we never see it again. And uh, it's there's a logical order to the town. You know, there's like this main strip and then there's these like two main town squares that have town uh, have shops and all these other things. And then all of the houses are just built out around that. I hop on our on the bike and it's like I am in the happiest place ever. That seems like a great building goal um, that that city planners maybe should consider and uh, definitely are considering with some major new projects and stuff. Um, and, and I think it has been considered in the past with the way that cities are built. But um, is that something that should be a goal that we have? Like uh, moving forward. Like moving those forward. Those developments, should we should we continue on this path that we're on of right. like these big sprawled out communities for, or should we move to a more community centered like where you have a yeah. a, cent a central square like if if we had control over everything and we could just say hey we're going to build a bunch of mini developments that are all amazing and next to each other is that the goal is yes that i like it <laughs> i'm a, i like i think it's cool i think that would be the goal for me my personal opinion i've never been to a community like that but i i, I, I think it's a vacation i i don't think it's a reality okay the, uh, unfortunately, I just think we're too reliant on our cars. Um, you know, there, there are no uh, Starbucks at Alice Beach, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, 
there's also times that you want to get a coffee at 6 a.m. and the local, you know, uh, your local barista, yeah, Tommy, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is not up, is not up yet, <laughs> and so they don't open till late, and so you're just, it's an inconvenience, and so it, yeah. it's 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 like while I, I speak out of both sides of my mouth, because while it's one time I want the convenience of a Starbucks, I also want the you know you know the local tradition and you know the lo- buying local, and so. I don't think those two can can live together in America. I mean, in Europe, maybe. In America, I think we're too uh, screwed up. We're you know? spoiled. We we're need s- that totally Starbucks. Spoiled. <laughs> we're so spoiled. It's just ridiculous. And so I th- I look at a development like this and I say, you know, it steers that cruise ship that we're on, this battleship that we're on, and it and it and it changes our port from you know just chasing after that to maybe that isn't the best thing and maybe we ought to go a little bit this way i don't see it being able to turn it around and 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 go in another direction so i i see it i i love love it as well and and that's why we go there um but i don't see it as a reality i i dream of like um living in the movie it's a wonderful life Mm -hmm. where like bailey building and loan is there and all the houses like that's what i think of when i think of these kind of places yeah yeah yeah. sure it's cool like that but i think yeah the supply and demand of americans like we have to have our we got to get to the other side of town we need these highways yeah it it just really isn't a reality it's a capital machine that Mm you know blows out mortgages and and the realtors talk about price per square foot and you know the the products you have to get in there to hit the price per square foot keep cheapening and cheapening and and you know it's only you know, when a customer really cares about quality and really fights for those things, can afford it, that you end up with beauty. But again, I, I look at the stuff that we build for our clients and I realize it's out of touch for most people. It's out of touch for me. I can't afford me. Right. And so, but I think it's also inspiring. I think it's also people look at that and go, oh, well, that's beautiful or that's well made and that's, you know, well crafted. And, you know, these big rich houses are ended up being something that inspire people and, and encourage craft and employ guys like us to do beautiful things and to learn to improve our craft and get better and stuff like that. So, so in the same way that like an art museum would inspire and and move people along in the right way, it's there to inspire. It's not there to be the gold standard. Right. I think that's what I'm saying. So I guess part of my question with this, because um, I don't know if it exists today, but I'm curious if it does. I know there are city planners, but I know most of the time there are, it's rare that there is a brand new city that is conceptualized and started to be a 5 million person city, you know, like, it, yeah, it's rare that I've you, thought about that you know before they do that in China. They do. I've thought okay. about that when I'm in traffic. I'm like, why didn't they see this coming? Right. You know, it's <laughs> right. like, why well, don't y'all make 10 lanes in each direction? <laughs> yes. In Denver, they have like three lanes on the highway, and then it's congested to the nines. Like, you can't do anything about it. I'm like, just build a second highway over the highway. Yeah, like the, 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 uh, the Chinese do that. I've read articles about how they'll build an airport in the middle of nowhere, and then they build a town around it, and, you know, because they have so many people and do things. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's going to work for, for very long, but they, you know, uh, that cities do develop out of those, those kind of arrangements and the, in the city and the, uh, apartment and residential developers are, it's a different world over there in China as far as how they develop cities and do stuff like that. So, well, I know the idea has been teased in a lot of different ways, uh, 
<clears throat> but I've always thought that there is there's a really cool solution that could be provided if maybe not a five million person city, but maybe a you know hundred thousand person city um, is conceptualized from the ground up, and not that it's built. Um, you know, a billion houses ready to go for people to move into, but maybe that it's built, you know, stage one of this future large town well, I mean, that then expands. So examples right? of that in the past would be like Longview, Washington. Okay, okay. Longview, Washington is built in the 20s by uh, Long Bell uh, Lumber Company. Mm -hmm. They had their lumbers and forests up in the Minnesota area and in the south, and those woods started running out, and so they bought in the upper northwest, and Longview, Washington is, is, is a place where it was a factory town and basically they built a lumber mill and they built a school and they built a uh you know the houses and everything else and it was a developed city and so you know maybe just like the chinese and just like just like us in a capital country it takes a you know uh an uh, economic engine to to run that thing but mm -hmm. those do, things do happen and those mm -hmm. things you know you know there's a city that's planned right I mean, that there's looks a city good. yeah that that is that is laid out you've got the hotel you got the schools you got the houses you got the city hall and you know it's a it was a planned development um and it was built very quickly in you know five or ten years it, it was, is it was interesting there. just how um the way a lot of these planned cities are built on a line uh, there is a new development <laughs> nice called segue. the line. Nice segue, Jackson. <laughs> um, all right, so this is a 200 meter wide, 500 meter tall and Apple store. No. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it. The 1.7 kilometer, maybe more, maybe 1700 kilometer. That's definitely 1700 kilometers. So, uh, it is a line that plans to span across the middle of, I believe, Saudi Arabia. Um, so it is a buttload of different traditional neighborhood developments and not traditional, I guess, non-traditional neighborhood developments. But it is uh, designed, or well, in theory, it will be designed to be five minutes walking distance from your nearest thing. Now you will have a train that runs through the length of the the whole thing, and I believe it can get from A to B from like one end to the other in something like five minutes. Um, it's just like some wild thing. Hasn't even broken ground yet. But um, what are y'all's thoughts on something like this as a large scale TND? Everything you need necessities are five minutes away from you. Right. Well, that means you just have to basically copy and paste every five minutes and right. it may work in something like this i mean i don't know but for our area like you think about dallas fort worth for those kind of communities to exist it would almost have to be the same thing yeah. you know like copy and paste and you kind of see that like strip mall retail every so often yeah it's but it's just done in a in a strip mall way it's not done in a, a thought out beautiful way by any means so you have to uh you know one of the things that architects do and planners do is they dream right mm. and they 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 come up with grand ideas um and certainly the saudi arabians have money to to spend on you know pipe dreams um you know 
possibly okay if <laughs> if it was executed well right and to richard's point i mean i think that's an excellent point um you know what if what if they what if you just had the exact same model every five minutes it would be ugly right yeah. mm -hmm. and so I, I think that this is why we dream this is why we think about stuff like this Golly, I, I, like it, it seems it yeah. seems completely impossible right it, it seems like it like it'd be like why are you doing that and and <laughs> and so uh, it does seem like <laughs> it's just like so why align and so then you then you end up with with these you know what? that part that, that part of these things are an art an artist uh you know just saying we're gonna have a line <laughs> and it's gonna run forever and it's gonna be this symbol of our you know and yeah like saying, this big visionary big visionary thing that that is just kind of bs right mm -hmm. uh, but but is but is um but but it's it's a it's a vision and it's an idea and and maybe some of those things can work because I think they also have a goal that this would be, um, you know, net zero, right? It is. It, it is. So it's, it's just like yeah, why don't we throw two that it makes gold candies, right? And it's just so <laughs> you know why, why don't we say too that it that it raises our children, yeah. you know? Why don't we say too that you know it's uh, so it's kind of silly. Well, but, there is going to be um, just along the sides of it like a. It's a conveyor belt that will collect all the dead birds that have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> That's their food supply for the year. Yeah, it's actually going to double as a glass factory. Too. <laughs> yeah, just as it walk out heats and melts, the sand melts, and melts the, the sand. sand. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, this is. I think it's cool. Like, if it was existed, I would want to go look at it. Well, there's but. one more. Uh, it's called Tolosa USA, and uh, it is America's the line. Of course, carbon net zero. It makes the golden candies, um, and everyone work here works here. Also works for Google, um, <laughs> but it it is. Uh, I don't know the full specs of it, but it it's planned to to be able to hold. I believe five million people. Um, I, I think that's the the game plan. Is they want to just build a massive thing, and they don't want to organically start people like living in the town. Um, like like a traditional development would happen because the the theory is when you start with a neighborhood development, it you can't control the way it grows. Like you were saying, New York can sometimes grow up or it could have grown out. DFW grow or I guess Fort Worth is able to grow out. Dallas is landlocked in, so it had to grow up. So um, with this one, they're planning on building it the way they want it. And then they are going to move people into it. So I think they're going to pay people to move in there first. And uh, and then it will, over time, become this working machine. But, um, again, that's America's pipe dream. Well, and I would say I would agree it is a pipe dream. <laughs> um, the The... You know, again, this is a this is what architects and visionaries and planners do is they is they cast vision, and I think that's what this is. If you understand kind of some of the things that are being taught in the modern architecture schools, um, they're completely impractical for today, right? If, I mean, there I was there was a class on uh, growing our buildings, mm -hmm. right? And and there was these majors where you can actually um, study how plants can be our buildings of the future. Okay, um, they're called trees, and we make them into lumber, and we, you know, and so. But they're, they're we've been doing about, this, guys. Yeah, we've been doing, I think we've been doing this, and so there are, and they're chasing after that carbon zero. They're chasing after you know the, the, all these different things, and again, they're visionary plans for things that could exist later. But if you look at all these buildings, they're 
um, especially that out. There's a lot of screening. There's a lot of these these things going on that are that are supposed to be plant materials and things like yeah. that. It's just you know, 200 years away yeah. uh, from being a reality. and Well, they still play chess there in the future, so that's good. I'm floating chess boards. <laughs> yeah. um, well, so. okay, so um, I hear what you're saying, and I hear you're saying that the, the architecture school is, especially for some of these massive buildings, is just impractical. And uh, so we've got a development, and I know we keep using Alice Beach. There's plenty of other ones. There's a bunch in Australia that I researched before for our Aussie mates out there. <laughs> um, but the, the, there's a bunch of great developments like Alice Beach, like Seaside, like uh, Rosemary Beach, uh, all those 38 developments. And, and then there's these future ideas, and the two don't look anything alike, right? One's so, looking to the past. One's looking forward. Well, I mean, I guess, Alice, you're halfway getting there. Like, it does kind of look a little futuristic, the fact that they're all white and that, uh, you know, it's a good look. But, um, or it looks Caribbean. What's, what's your thought in um, how do we make them connect? Like, because we've got one that's dreaming big and then one that's, like, dreaming big but rooted in reality. How do we make the two, you know? Well, I, th I think other. I think everybody's looking for solutions, right? Everybody's looking at the housing crisis. They look at ugly developments, and they're going, "How could it be? How mm -hmm. should it be?" Yeah. Right? And and just and so I think you have both new urbanists, you know, and their solution is more like this, and you know, the Seaside, Alice Beach, Rosemary Beach, um, and and the futurists look at, well, we're going to have new materials. We're going to we're going to think differently. We're going to work differently. We're going to you know. Um, and it's a little bit like the Jetsons, right? The Jetsons. Mm -hmm. um, That's it, what it, I was thinking. It was just, it's just like, you know, we'll we won't have cars and no one will work and you'll just push buttons and everything <laughs> will. And so you're, you know, again, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit impractical. But, but I think it points to the fact that everybody sees the problem, mm -hmm. right? And everybody sees it and goes... Hmm. This probably this really is an ideal. The way we're building homes, the way it's cost, the way yeah. this sprawls happening. How should it be? And so, you know, I think these guys are much closer to a solution than the futurists. Mm -hmm. um, in that their their communities are already being built. And so, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that's the way I look at so it. That's a key feature. <laughs> You're already doing it. You're much closer. Well, you look at those images of all the futuristic buildings. And I'm, my mind is like, who's paying for all this? Like when I look at this though, I'm like, okay, well that homeowner paid to have that one. Right. Built, and right. It's realistic. Right. Totally. Yeah. Like where's the funding coming for, from that? But it's, it's just a visionary. That's all it is. It's a, it's a, it's a drawing. So coming back to the kind of question I was asking earlier, um, you know, I look at this as maybe the ideal, uh, you were saying this would be ideal. You were saying this ideal, but you're saying this maybe isn't the ideal town. Um, what's it maybe a step in the right direction to where we get a city that people are, you know, jazzed about and excited about living in, but still has some of those necessities like a 7-Eleven that's, I can go get my Slurpee at 2 a.m. or, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Not that we all need that. Um, well, some I, of us. I, uh, I think part of the, um, you know, the answer is what happened during the pandemic, okay? People leaving huge cities and moving to smaller towns where they can, uh, you know, there was towns that basically boosted their internet and boosted fiber in a very small town like Natchez, Mississippi or Hillsboro, Texas. And, and they, they 
people started moving in from outside the road. We're working with a client down in Hillsboro right now. They are from Boston. Their neighbor is from San Francisco and their other neighbor is from California somewhere else. And they all moved to this small town in Texas. Because Boston has bad internet or? Because they, <laughs> they, to they, the... they, it was a solution to how do you get, you know, the small town charm, but still yeah. have your 7-Eleven close by. Right. And so these people were basically saying, look, we want to go to Dallas. We want to go to Fort Worth. You know, they're 30 minutes away, but I, you know, I am slowing the pace of my life down. I'm, you know, slowing the, the amount I drive my car. I'm, I am investing in a small community. And there are a lot of people doing that. So your solution is one more pandemic, Richard. What's your <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say earlier, they're just listening to the journey song. Just, <laughs> just a small town girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what's weird about it though, for me, like I hear that story and I actually had that dream one time and I actually tried it, but I won't get into that story of what happened. Uh, I, I moved out to the country mm-hmm. and I kind of liked the chaos of the city. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I don't yeah. know. I, like the hubbub I, and the, the just, buzzing and everything. It just feels like there's a lot of opportunity and like business. And that's probably the capitalist in me. That's mm-hmm. like, whoa, look at all these opportunities. Yeah. But um, yeah, I found out I'm not like a small town country guy. Yeah. I like it here in the big city. And I think the way America is set up uh, could definitely use some. My solution is, well, we have works. Traffic sucks. It'd be nice to have smaller tight knit communities, Mm -hmm. but I really don't have an answer on how that could be done. I think, I think it is almost a dream too. Cool. I think the fact that we're choosing not to live in a new development, right. The, that I'm not trying to go find a gated community to, to, and, and I'm not, you know, you, you didn't go, you, you, you did in the past, but the new house you're looking for, you ended up in a 1930s house. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that's telling too, mm-hmm. right? There's a, and my community has sidewalks. It has um, a really tight knit community feel. It doesn't have the town square and all that, but yeah. maybe that's a solution. You have a local school, but you know, yeah. right? and so there's stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's yeah. awesome. I, I think that's, that's a great proposed solution. And while that, I, I think what you said earlier <laughs> that <laughs> we, you, uh, we said a <laughs> pandemic and I had no answer. You're like, this is a great answer. <laughs> Well, I think your answer was uh, what we've been talking about on this channel for however long, like uh, a historically well-built house. And uh, I mean, it seems like the uh, the major developers, they're not building homes in, you know, his, or their neighborhoods are not the ne- the kind of neighborhood that you're describing. Yeah, you made a choice, right? Yeah. 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 And, and, and it, I think it was the right one. Yeah. So I, I think uh, I, I think yours makes sense. Yours is go find a, a beautiful historic house, and typically those neighborhoods are complementary of the the things the the values that you're holding dear, and uh, and then you want a pandemic, which is great. <laughs> um, I will say I have seen some like newer communities that I feel like made an attempt at it, where mm-hmm. they just put like a like almost like a, I would just call it like a courtyard. Yeah. But that's the extent of it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like this master plan. A lot of plan. apartment complexes do that as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> there's a development, uh, you know, west of us called Walsh Ranch. And, um, you know, it maybe is a sign of how a seaside made a difference in a new development today. Because a lot of production builders are out there. The, there's, there there's an architectural control 
committee that 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 specifies a certain design, mm-hmm. uh, but they have built theirs more around community. It's called Walsh Ranch, and they, they, you know, high-speed internet was one of the things, but there's a school, there's, you know, local communities, sidewalks, you know, that that is that is a sign to me of the production builders getting it and, and realizing, hmm, you know, this would be better if we could live this way, and that, that some of those things that we're advocating actually are taking root in new development. And their production builds didn't look that bad. No, they didn't. And that's because there's a strong (laughs) there's a strong architectural (laughs) control uh, that determines that says hey you gotta build to these standards. And so when when a development does that in like the Rosemary and those other places. Exactly. Very strict architectural controls. And look, most developments have an architectural control committee, but you know a lot of times they are, uh, you know, with ill-advised as ideas. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Uh, man, we hope this has stimulated your mind. If you have any, uh, other great examples of traditional neighborhood developments, we would love to see them and hear about them. So feel free to comment them, um, or join the Patreon so you can join in our discord and be a part of the conversation.